it's time to kickstart your confidence. In this podcast, you will hear open and honest interviews with business owners and like-minded people who have struggled and then how they've overcome their own issues. Listen to their real-life struggles and personal accounts of how they've changed their lives and continue to do so on a daily basis. Get rid of stress, own your own space and thoughts. It's time to take control, build your personal health and well-being improve as you travel with us on this journey. And now your host, former British champion, owner and chief instructor of Hastings Kickboxing Academy and third Dan Black Belt, Carl Denning. I have the owner of Progressive Property, author of 15 books, eight times bestsellers, uh, two times world record holder. Um, his podcasts are listened to in over 250 countries, I believe. Staff of 95, a million pound turnover. He is known as the, uh, the podcast king. He's the disruptive entrepreneur that everyone knows, Rob Moore. Thank you, Carl. Our, our turnover is nearly near 20 million. Just wow. <laughs> um, and it'll, it'll be book number 16 um, in January. Wow. Yeah. Top man. Well done. So um, I, I want to talk about as much as we can over the next hour. So um, I just want to say I really appreciate time and we might just crack straight on. Um, I met you at Expert Empires. Uh, that's where I first got to know who the Rob Moore was and um, then got involved in the podcasting. So got involved in your podcast company. And then I met you again through um, Gordon Bircham as well. Um, the first question is, where do all your ideas come from? Uh, the universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, where do all my ideas come from? Uh, long walks. Quiet. I think you get great ideas when you empty your mind, not when it's full. Really interesting conversations. Watching documentaries, listening to audiobooks, listening to podcasts, mentors, competitors, uh, your staff, your clients, your community, your followers, your fans. Nice. Medium skinny cappuccino, extra shot. <laughs> Every morning. I'd say 95% of my ideas come from it. Yeah. In the car, in the shower. I think the key thing to ideate well, come up with lots of ideas and good ideas, is to not always have a full brain yeah. where you're constantly on. You need to empty your mind so that things can come in and through and then have the right stimulation. Uh, listening to mu music I really love, or seeing art, or reading poetry, or great architecture, that's likely to inspire you. I've always tried to get my inspiration uh, vicariously through different niches and models, not just in the same industry that I'm in, because I don't want to be a me too. You know, I want to um, be as unique as I can. So you can kind of hybridize ideas from different places and spaces as well. Nice. Good. Um, so for me, I find all my thoughts come when, like exactly when you say, when you shut off is when the ideas start to flow back in, when you actually shut down for a little bit. Um, and it's nice to know that it comes from different mediums, i.e. I've been reading a few more books and listening to um, audio books a lot more now. So that's really, really helped because you can actually relax and listen rather than 
you know, sit down and focus on reading, which is really cool. Um, I know you're a busy man. Um, so the people that don't know you, can you explain what a, a typical day of Rob Moore's like? Yeah, so I get up between three and five. Uh, I'll have that medium skinny cappuccino extra shot. <laughs> and then I will do my key result area tasks from about five till eight. Uh, so that would be strategy vision. That would be um, partnerships. That would be personal brand. That would be anything that is part of developing that personal brand, like strategic work on my podcast or on my authoring, etc. cetera. Um, I have about five key result areas, you know, which are my best use of time in my companies and my brand and, um, you know, my, my mission. Then uh, I'll usually do an, a workout towards the end of that until about 8.30, then I'll do a live 8.30 till 9.00, then I'll do meetings or Zoom calls 9.00 till 11.00, then 11.00 till 1.00, I'll have off and I'll have my second coffee. 1.00 to 2.00, we'll either have a call or an interview. 2.00 to 3.00, keep free. 3.00 o'clock is often an interview time like it is now, yeah. and then I keep the rest of the day free. Um, so um, afternoon and dinner with my children, um, you know, try to spend as much time with them as possible. Yeah. Um, and I've not been the best in the past. I, I, I probably have, but at times been a bit of a workaholic. So uh, I'm certainly trying to manage and grab that a bit more and have a bit more of a balanced life. But um, I don't really need to work that much between 8.30. And I need to have a couple of meetings and doing interviews like this. I don't know if you call it work. I don't call it work. I don't feel like I'm working now talking to you, Carl, and talking yeah. to my audience. So... Um, but, but continuing to do the podcast interviews, the giving back, uh, I do, um, go on long walks. I've been on a two hour walk today and I um, did about uh, three or four zoom calls. I've done 75 one-to-one -one calls in the last 10 days wow. in a couple of car journeys. So if I'm going to London or to Vista village or I'm going to meet someone, um, you know, I'll, I'll do some calls on the way and the way back just to try and maximize my time. Uh, I demo a lot of hi-fi equipment in a place in Bickles, Bickles Way. That's an hour there and an hour back. So I'll, I'll chuck four calls in on the way, four calls on the way back. I wrote a book called Routine Equals Results because I think it's absolutely vital to have a fairly rigid but created by you, therefore free, because you created it. Because freedom is not doing nothing. Um, freedom is doing what you choose to do. Uh, and without a routine, you have no um, accountability. So it's vital to have a routine. Otherwise, you just get dragged from pillar to post and you know, you're overwhelmed and frustrated and distracted and, you know, social media is really addictive. And I, I know we all know it, but, you know, I've definitely got addicted to WhatsApp or Facebook, <laughs> or just, just the urge to check my phone, yeah. um, you know, at your client's demand or, you know, just because you want to see a debate going on. And then the way that they design these apps and this phone is, it really is, creates this uh, like need. Yeah. So I've been making a big effort over the last few weeks to have hours off of social media, which, you know, it's, it's a logical thing to do. It's, but it, but cause all of my business and all of my companies and all of my personal brand and all of my communication is off my phone or my laptop. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. always been the justification to use that, but then it, yeah, I, I do have an addictive personality and I can get, I could, I'm surprised I'm not addicted to air trying to <laughs> snort air. I'm, I get very addicted to a lot of things and I just have to take time to manage that. It must be hard to switch off as well, because like you say, everything you do is online. So 
the longer you turn your phone off for or put it on silent or you know put it put it upside down so you can have dinner with the kids um to then go back to it the notifications should go up and up and up so the longer you are away from it the, the more you have to deal with when you go back something that i struggle with quite a bit yeah i try and turn all the notifications off um in facebook you get them but you have to go and find them yeah. so i turn them all off i don't have any pings or dings or whatever People have notifications on their home screen. I don't. But for me, that doesn't mean that your mind isn't, tr oh, I want to go and check this app. I want to go and check that app. I want to go and check social media. I want to go and check my messages. And also, I mean, this is common for entrepreneurs, but we, we really struggle with being bored and switching yeah. off. So our mind goes, oh, just see if there are any messages. I'll see if there are any emails. And what we do is we end up seeking them out by unconsciously sending stuff so we can get stuff back. Um, and sometimes I'm wondering why all my messages are so full and it's because I'm replying to them all. And, you know, you have to delay, defer, delegate, delete the four Ds. Um, so, yeah, um, like this balance, I, I think blend is a more accurate word than balance. Um, but I, I've always said when people have asked me the question, I'm not the best person to ask because I am a little bit, I love my work, but, I, you know, I also have got some, addictive tendencies to my work, but I've made consistent, I tend to go through these cycles and I'll have control of everything and I'll be pretty balanced. I'll be down the gym a lot. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be working two, three hours a day, which is all actually I really need to do. Um, you know, like you said, I have 95 staff, um, but then uh, are, I'll just sort of get drawn in bit by bit, by bit, by bit, by bit, by people, by messages, by um, clients, and, you know, and not, not, saying that this is a problem where it's their fault. This is in my boundaries. Um, and, and, and it sort of creeps up on me. And then all of a sudden, uh, I mean, in the lockdown, I was getting up at 3 a.m. and working till 9 a.m. And it was, it was needed for a little while, but it was also a convenient excuse. Yeah. Um, so I kind of got this sort of little bit of secondary gain, a bit of a, 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 an endorphin rush out of it. But then you crash and burn. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've got a lot more balance now. Now, in my book, Routine Equals Results, um, you put in your key life areas as well as your key result areas and your income generating tasks. And, and it's weird to say if you've got a partner, you know, have a date night or an hour to listen to music or vinyl um, or to slot in friends. But if, what you don't put in your diary just gets swallowed up by everybody else's tasks mm -hmm. and emergencies and messages. Yeah. And people like me harassing you. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> so um, can I ask, um, because again, you're very honest and open with a lot of your business stuff. Um, what was your biggest fail and what did you learn from it? So it might not necessarily be a fail, but um, where have you fallen down and thought, I could really learn from that? Yeah, so my, my biggest business fail. Yeah. Um, I mean, my biggest business fail was I'm not starting it seven years before I did because my dad raised me to be an entrepreneur, but from 18 to 25, I sort of let go of that identity and just got stuck in the, the conventional schooling and education and job system. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's not who you are and what you want to be, then, you know, you're a square peg in a round hole. So that was probably my biggest fail. Uh, I mean, you know, I've, I, the thing with me is so far today, I've not had a massive bankruptcy. I've not had any bankruptcy. Um, you know, I've not had yeah, yeah, of course. Because like a lot of people are like, oh, you're not a proper entrepreneur unless you've been bankrupt. Well, I'd like to never go bankrupt ever, thank you. And I will fight hard not to um, because I think that that would be embarrassing and that there'd be creditors and I wouldn't want to owe people money. Um, 
And, you know, we haven't had any major legal cases. We've had little ones. You, you would expect that or, or it gets to arbitration. You know, when you're a company our size and you've done more than 120 million pounds, that's going to happen. Um, I've, I've had, you know, part business partnerships that have come and gone, but my main one is now 15 years strong. So I'm probably the sort of guy, I make probably more frequent mistakes than many people, but I guess I'm prepared to take small incremental risks. So I've probably made lots more little ones than any massive, outrageous, big ones. Yeah. Um, and even the, even mistakes I've made, which, you know, might be, I might look back and go, do you know what? It would have been nice if I hadn't have done that. I'm not the sort of person that regrets. So I do believe that they have a purpose you can't change the past other than your perception of it. So regretting it is changing your perception in the negative, not the positive. So if you look at it and see it as a lesson and as a part of your journey and you're grateful for it, instead of seeing it as a failure, then, you know, I think that's the best way to look at it. So no, I, 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 I know that that's not a specific answer to the question, but I think it's an honest answer to the question. Like I do find it hard to go, oh, okay, what was my biggest epic fail? But if you gave me an hour, I could tell you of 150 little things I cocked up. But yeah. um, I, I was thinking today, um, you cannot succeed your way to success. And what I mean by that is you don't get success by success, success, success equals success. You get success by mistake, failure, mistake, failure, success. You can't succeed your way to success. Therefore, there has to be failure in success. Therefore, there is no success without failure. Therefore, failure is not, uh, failure, is not failure. Failure is on the road to success. Yeah. But to be honest, this is one of the things I've learned from yourself. And something I say to my fighters, because I run a kickboxing school, um, if you have a fight and you win easily, you don't really learn anything from it. You win. You and you, you go on from the win to your next fight. But it's when you, when you lose is when you learn. And it, trying to get through to the fighter's mindset that you haven't lost. It's just a learning experience. Why did you lose? Did you not try hard enough? Mm. Were you not fit enough? Did you not do enough homework? Did you not do enough running on the road? Did you not get your heel sprints in? Um, was you prepared to work when they wasn't? So for me, my fighters learn the most about themselves is when they're actually losing as opposed to winning. Um, sure. Now I've got a thought on this um, because you're absolutely right. Um, there's a, a saying you win or you learn. Um, and I agree with that. Um, so you never really fail. But I'd also say this, treat your wins and your losses equally because uh, reverse engineering why you won and figuring that out and doing um, what you did well again and going, and what could we do even better? That is as vital as looking at your defeat and going, what can we do better? So I actually think it's your attitude to what you learn from your wins and losses. Now, many entrepreneurs who are often self-motivated, who tend to beat themselves up, who tend to compare themselves to others, you know, they'll either beat themselves up on the loss and therefore they won't get the, um, you know, the lesson. Or what they'll do is they'll obsess about what's gone wrong. But often... Once you get a certain level of success, your job is to repeat the same success patterns over and over and not stop the thing that got you there. I've got this little phenomenon. I don't know what it is in terms of, I haven't named it yet, but when I train trainers, usually actually their first proper event goes well because there's a lot of fear 
and a lot of incentive to practice and study hard. Maybe you have that with fighters. Maybe they prepare. But their second speech usually drops because they don't work as hard and honor the process of their first one to the second one. And maybe fighters, they're more scared and more nervous in the first fight than the second. And maybe they don't do quite the same amount of practice for the second as the first. It's not really beginner's luck. It's that they honored a process and they practiced way more for the first fight or speech than the second. So you've got to, you've got to um, distill what works in your win as well as what didn't work in your loss, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, 100%. That's, um, it's good because that's what I've took. So I think I'm fairly good at what I do in respects to martial arts and we work with a lot of parents uh, we work with SEN children, Pathways children, we work with the local police, um, working with families and vulnerable families that can't afford to train, as long as, as well as fighters and champions. Um, but that, this is something that we've really learned over 15 years of teaching, is getting the balance right with your wins and the losses, but building up people's confidence as they go. Um, and it's so important um, to get the right balance between the two with teaching the, the children and the parents the right balance of winning and losing. And it's something that we feel has got lost over time. I don't want to use the word snowflakes, um, but if you fall over and graze your knee, I'm, I'm on the mindset of, well, he's not dying, he's not bleeding out, get up, brush, brush, brush yourself off and you'll carry on. Whereas we can get parents that be like, oh, little Johnny's falling over, is he going to be all right? Well, it'll be all right. Just let him learn for himself and dust himself off and carry on. Yes. It didn't sound like a question. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't a question. I was just, um, just I, I have these ramblings from time to time. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about your business a little bit. Um, when COVID-19 hit, did, did you have to make the decision to change? Because obviously a lot of stuff you do is in-house. You do a lot of public speaking and et cetera, et cetera. When COVID-19 hit and we went into lockdown, did you say to yourself, right, we're going to have to change direction. So did you make the decision and all your yeah. team follow, or did you kind of have like a big meeting and everyone kind of put their two pence worth in? Um, okay, so I'd made the decision before, and not because I don't like to involve my team, I do, and I ask my team their thoughts all the time, and I learn so much from them. But I was just a few weeks ahead of them because I'm the guy at the top who does a lot of the planning and strategy. So I'd figured out a few weeks before the lockdown, we need to make a, a dramatic shift. Um, now, we were already quite diverse, which played into our hands. We had a podcast agency, which had live stream facilities, which turned out to be a godsend because we've probably done one live stream a day for the last three months. Um, and so we we're able to sort of reuse those assets. Uh, and we had plenty of courses. We just needed to put them online. So everyone just worked double, triple hard and extra hours. And we got them online really quickly. So actually our big pivot wasn't really a pivot. It was just doing what we were going to do in three years, in three months. So just accelerate the process. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there was fear and motivation and um, the three months in lockdown have been, I've been sharing quite a lot recently, the challenges that I've been having in my business and, um, and even the parts of my personal life are, are related to business because it's my job. I believe, to be honest about what's going on, because then I think that content is more fresh, more real, more honest, more relatable, and more of the now. Um, but actually, the last three months business-wise have been amazing. They've been really good, um, and we've done very well. And I almost feel a bit embarrassed to say that, 
and because I don't want it to come across cocky or that I don't want to be complacent because I never am. But, you know, while I said, Mark and I have had a challenging year, probably our hardest year in business in the last 15, um, for different reasons, as well as some similar reasons. But actually, you know, the health of the business is unbelievable. Um, but, you know, I say this with humility, but I was on it fast and I was getting up at 3 a.m. And every morning from 3 a.m. to 8, 9 a.m., I was figuring out what do we do, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? Plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E, plan F, plan G. And then I was chucking loads of extra content videos out on my social media to help my followers and fans and clients create their plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E. I got lots of compliments, lots more of the amount of videos I did and how helpful they were to people. Because for me at the moment, um, in, the day, in the day and age we're in in business, speed is so important. If you're slow, you're gone, you're dead. And you've got to be fast. And we were fast. You know, we were very fast. Definitely think we, one of the we created our first online course within seven days of the lockdown. And we'd done 12 new online courses in 12 weeks. That is fast. Wow. That's good. <laughs> really impressive. I mean, it's allowed me to do some, but I definitely haven't done as much as that. That's for sure. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it was great. So there's, there's bits that you guys have helped with. So I personally struggle with having that business head, that business brain. So over the last year of kind of being a bit more involved and closer to listening to you guys and following you some of the stuff that you've helped me understand about myself is not caring about haters and trolls and having more confidence in myself to grow and push my business forward because I can get on the mats and teach fighters and I can talk to parents about bullying but it was the business side that I really struggled with so it's not a question but it's more of a just a thank you for the motivation to to put a business hat on and actually drive forward just that little bit more so thank you um Talking about business, is there anything that you struggle with? Oh man, because you say, How long have we got? Yeah, like you know, because again, I think for most people, they probably think that, Oh my god, Rob does this and he does this. And he right. books and Let's talk about that then. First off, don't put me up on a pedestal, don't think that I've got all my shit together. I, I don't really feel that comfortable with that. I've heard a few people say that recently. Uh, yeah. I'm not really that comfortable with it. I'm a human being, I struggle with some things and I do well at some things that's just me. So what do I struggle with then? I struggle, I can struggle with my work-life balance because I can get addicted to work. Um, I, I can struggle with becoming quite obsessive about things. Um, and of course, in the moment, that's good, isn't it? If you get results out of it and it's to what you want to obsess about, but anything that you obsess about becomes a curse in the end. Um, I like variety, really big variety. So my propensity would be to multitask too much and to have too many things on the go. So I try and be self-aware to know where my limits are. I struggle with boundaries. Um, I definitely struggle with, um, you know, people communicating with me and messaging me and, you know, wanting to please everyone, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, uh, I struggle sometimes with my brain racing away from me. I like, you know, I've done a lot of personal development and I definitely can take control of my thoughts, but sometimes my brain just, it's just going on where I can't shut it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I struggle with um, anything very technical. So I'm not very technical. I, 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 yeah, Aaron's I, been telling me that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I trust probably too quickly, so I'm not maybe sceptical enough in some situations. Thankfully, those things I've said to you, I struggle with. You know, I've got really close and good people around me who are good in those areas. So there's seven or eight things I struggle with already. I struggle with getting your hair cut in the lockdown. <laughs> this is 14 weeks. Although you have sorted out your beard. 
Yeah, I did sort that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, I just, we all just have our own version of upsides and downsides. You know, hopefully it's, it's clear to people what I, I'm pretty good at and what they can um, be inspired by and implement into their own lives if it's relevant to them. No one, no one should try to want to be me or like me. Everyone should just want to be a better version of themselves. Yeah, good advice. Really good advice for yourself. Um, I've got here, um, I mean, I, I love the hustle. I love the grind. I, I know I'm up at sort of half five, five. I mean, I, I'm used to 16, 17 hour days. Um, I like the hustle. I like the grind. Um, the difference between me and you, I guess, is I was buying and selling snowboards in the summer and the winter to, to make money on that. That was some of my investment and, and a few track cars as well. Uh, whereas you, you're a bit more into watches and Ferraris. Um, I've got a question for you on the watches side. Are, are they a good investment? Because I know you talk about watches and I know you love watches. Um, yeah, so uh, nothing exclusively is a good investment. You can't say property is a good investment even though everyone does. Actually, sometimes I do. In reality, overseas off-plan and new build property is not as going to be as good an investment as local, maybe 30 or 40-year-old or 80-year-old property stock. Yeah. Um, you, need a, you need a good yield. You need a good tenant. So in it, anything can be a good or a bad investment if you have knowledge or naivety. So with watches, Rolex Daytonas generally are steady performers. Yeah. They've proven for probably... 50 plus years um in recent times some of the more sports models have gone up but i think it's a maybe a, a quite a long bubble i bought some rolex kermits which are the submariner anniversaries and i made 300 percent on them i didn't even sell them at peak either um so basically a, a discontinued or limited edition or vintage rolex sport model maybe other than some of the older gmt's um, probably do all right, but you're best going with the st all steel Daytona. Bi-metal generally tend to not be very good. Um, all gold, they'll drop at first, but in the long, long run, they'll be worth a lot of money. Um, Patek Philippe, not all models, but Nautilus, um, some complications, but the higher end complications, they seem to just keep going. Richard Meal just tend to keep going and going, especially the complications. Audemars Piguet, the Royal Oaks, the Royal Oak Offshores did really well, the limited editions a few years ago, but they've softened. But now if you can get limited Royal Oaks, they're normally pretty good. But they, they're very specific. Yeah. I mean, I had a, um, a Rolex, a, a, um, an AP Schumacher, a gold one, which was 55 new, went up to 82.5 um, probably two years ago. And now you'll get 50 for it probably. So, it's, you know, it's like timing is important. If you want a long-term holder and you just want it to be really simple, get a Rolex Daytona, steal one. Yeah. yeah. Buy two, put one on your wrist and put, you know, one in the safe. Yeah. Well, I'd say it's not just an investment for you, is it? You, you know, you're passionate about watches, yeah. same as your sound systems and stuff, as we can see in the background. <laughs> what, what is that speaker? Well, I've just mentioned it. What have we got there? That's a, these are called Wilson Sasha DAWs. So these, um, David Wilson, who founded the company, passed away not too long ago. Um, and his son made a very special model in his name, and that's these. Um, so these are these are forty five thousand pounds. The model up is sixty five thousand pounds, but these they're probably not really. In fact, I demoed them. They're not really that much better than them. These are like the you know if you're making a speaker in the name of your dad who found the company, 
you're going to make an awesome speaker. So they're 100 kilos each. Wow. Uh, and that you, you you put any music through them and they sound amazing. And um, I've done all right with my hi-fi. I've either, um, I mean, I had a pair of PMC Fact 12s, which I paid seven grand for secondhand and I had them for three years and I sold them for eight grand. So I got paid to own those. <laughs> um, the, I, the turntable I exchanged, I only lost a couple of grand on it. Um, so if you buy the right hi-fi equipment um, at, at the right um, sort of, part of the curve are you not new um you you'll be all right you know it doesn't cost me much this hobby even though i mean capital value of my hi-fi is a quarter of a million pounds but wow. i've probably got most of my money still in that like if i sold it all i'd probably get most of that money back so really yeah. it's, it's a glorified savings account that plays beautiful music um yeah. and, and you know it's the same with art and the same with certain cars if you get it right you yeah. know it's essentially a glorified savings account um, or, or can be better, like some Ferraris go up crazy money. Um, yeah. I had a four, I had a four five eight, and virtually lost nothing on it for three years or yeah. four years. Now there was obviously maintenance and everything else, but virtually no depreciation. Yeah. So you know things can look like vinyl at the back there. Um, not all of it, because some stuff I just like the music, but I, I pick my albums carefully. Um, and often have albums that either stay the same value or appreciate in value. Yeah. So I, there's Nine Inch Nails record in there. I paid 15 quid for that'll be that sell for 100 quid. Yeah. Um, I've got a Plan B record there that's 200 quid. I'm um, 230 quid. So nice. you know, my, my business partner wrote about this a lot in his book, Mark My Words. But if you, if you are careful with what you buy and when you buy, um, you, you can almost just move money around as opposed to spend it and depreciate it. Yeah. I mean, nowhere near on the level of a Ferrari, but um, last year I brought a Renault 5 GT Turbo, the old. Nice. Yeah. Um, it only yeah. owes me 1,500 quid at the yeah. moment. Um, we need to rebuild it, so my friend's mechanics. But I was quite shocked when I looked a few months ago. They're going up to sort of 20, 25 grand for the proper retro 5. So Yeah. I knew it'd be an investment, but I didn't think it'd be that much of an investment. Mm. So I'm quite yeah. happy with that. Mm. So, um, change, changing direction a little bit. Uh, what turns you on? What gets your blood pumping? Track, bike? Um, I, I love... I got an email today from someone whose father had just passed away and she was having to arrange his funeral and she just basically said that my content has taken her through this time and supported her through this time. And for me, I could have died and gone to heaven right there and then. So definitely, um, the messages and the value and, and, and the help people receive from me feels amazing. I mean, look, making money is a sport. It's not just about the money. It's about the score, the growth, the progress, the, value you attribute to yourself in some way, the manifestation of the work you've created. So I can't, I can't deny I like making money. I love building things and growing things. So, you know, I like building my hi-fi. I'm always demoing new equipment. Uh, I love hiring more staff and growing our company and going from local to national to global. I love getting, you know, greater reach on my podcasts and lives and things like that. So, you know, all of these things definitely, uh, you know, really, um, to use your language, turn me on. <laughs> there are other things that turn me on that I probably better not say. Um, yeah, and yeah, 
you know, obviously there's different emotions, isn't there? So you said blood pumping and turning me on, um, but then there's also contentment, um, you know, or there's fulfillment. And, and I think they're different kind of emotions. So the reason I haven't say mentioned, you know, family or things like that is because, you know, that's not, get, that doesn't get your blood pumping, but that is something that gives you fulfillment and contentment and friendships. I've valued friendships a lot more in the last, um, you know, few months uh, because I probably can get, a, well, I can get a bit obsessive over work and I can just not invest enough time in friendships. Peter's just here, said here, look, Rob, you've helped me kick on. And um, you, just to see people say things like that feels really good. Um, I, I look, I love listening to music. I, 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 or in a way, I wish that everyone was listening, everyone who's listening and watching. I mean, there's too many people, so I couldn't do this. But in a way, I wish they could just come over my house, pick their favorite song on vinyl, and let me put it on the system and let me sit in there in the listening chair and just listen, and just listen to my system because it, it moves you and we will let me make your hair stand on end. And um, even people who are not really into music, they're like, I don't get it. How can you pay 45,000 pounds for a pair of speakers? How can you, you know, how, how could blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. and then I put it on and they're like, oh. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, you know, when you hear parts of a song, that you've never ever heard before and you've listened to that song a thousand times and when you can hear that the breathing in um yeah. you know of the singing and when you can hear the emotion like like dire straits i've i've always quite enjoyed dire straits and you know i've always found him quite a laid-back singer but when you listen to him on my system he, he's he's you hear him he's even more laid back he's almost talking and when you hear female vocals it's, oh man the emotion of it um, and when you hear guitars that grind and kick pedals that you feel instead of hear. Yeah. So definitely music and art and poetry and anything creative, that definitely gets me my blood pumping, as you would say. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And on the flip side of that, and I think I'll probably know the answer. For me, because my brain's going a million miles now, the only thing that actually gets me to switch off is a film. So put the projector on, surround sound, um, and the sound of a film for me makes the film. It's not necessarily a visual. It's all about the noises and feeling the film. And um, for me to switch off, I put a film on, put it up nice and loud, kick back and watch a film. So what do you do to unwind? Um, read my daughter a story. That for me is one of the great things that helps me unwind. How, uh, how old's your daughter? Five. Cool. Um, we read Oi Frog. Oi dog and oi cat and they're brilliant and we have, <laughs> we have a great laugh doing it. I get told off all the time because I don't end up relaxing her at my um, end. <sighs> we end up having too much of a laugh. Um, so that, that helps. I mean, I love watching Netflix documentaries. Yeah. Now, if I'm not too tired, I'll watch an educational autobiographical type one. But if I'm just completely zonked, I'll need escapism. Um, going for walks. Um, going for long walks, I've been probably walking on average two hours a day through this lockdown. Is that why you like yeah. golf so much? Uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. That's, <laughs> yeah. What is it they say? Why ruin a long walk? Yes. Um, yeah. and, and definitely for me, you know, listening to music. Um, I, I like all types of music. And if I want to get riled up, I'll listen to metal. And if, you know, if I want to get um, more relaxed, I'll listen to something, you know, more relaxing and calming. So yeah, those, those things probably. Um, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. How old's your son as well? Uh, he's nine. 
He's a wicked character, by the way. Like occasionally yeah. when you see him in the lives, like a cheeky one, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, good kid, good kid. Um, do you? How much do you live outside your bubble, like the safety bubble? So people tell me all the time, Cole, don't do that, it's a bit of a risk, or oh, you shouldn't do that, or no one else is doing that, why are you doing that? And I, I'm the one who will go, actually, fuck it, oh, I'm going to go and try, I'm going to give it a go. So how much would you say you push the boundaries of that safety net? I would say compared to everybody I know a lot, and I'm not saying that's a lot compared to everyone in the world, but I'm doing things that are making me uncomfortable every single day, and I'm going there and pushing there and feeling that discomfort and challenging myself to feel that pain and maybe a little bit self-inflicting in that regard. I want to grow. I want to get better. Um, yeah. So I, I, I am. So to use, your, to use your phrase, I'm living outside of my bubble a lot. Don't get me wrong. I then go and hide in it and I'll often not involve myself in social situations and I'll retreat sometimes, but that's because I'm often pushing myself to that edge. Not in, a, not in an adrenaline junkie kind of way. It's, that's not really me. But just in terms of embracing my fears and discomforts and, um, you know, things that are pushing me to grow, I'm there a lot. And it could be tiring sometimes, actually. Uh, and, and sometimes I just should probably sit back and go, you know what, you don't need to be there every day. Appreciate what you've got. You know, um, light your cigar, smell the roses. Um, and I... Look, entrepreneurs, we, we don't often do that and we probably need to do that more and I definitely need to do that more. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really difficult because if you're driven to continue driving, to, to put the brakes on and slow yourself down is, is a really, really tough thing to do. Um, something I struggle with a lot. Um, and being outside that bubble, um, it can be quite scary. Do you think that's what's got you to where you are by continuously pushing that boundary? taking them risks? I think there's probably multiple factors that have gotten me to where I am. Um, one of them would be, yeah, to, to, for the desire for growth. Like one of my highest values is growth stroke progress. So that desire for growth, for more, for value recognition, um, contribution, respect, results, yeah, that's definitely probably the biggest driver. Of course, I've had some luck along the way and I've had some bad luck. Um, and I've stayed consistent and stayed in the game. You've got to stay in the game. So you don't win the game on the sidelines, do you? You know, the people in the crowd are the ones, the crowds are the ones that shout and scream at everyone, but the people on the pitch are the ones that are playing the game. So I've stayed in the game. Um, I've tried to always learn and take feedback and try and figure out how to fix things. I am a fixing I have a fixing mentality. I want to fix everything. Sometimes that's from a solution and progress mindset. Sometimes that's a, I want to get rid of the pain mentality. Um, so yeah, probably those factors and maybe some I'm unconscious of as well. Good partnerships, great staff, your great community, good people around me, good support network, good mentors, constant learning, audio books and podcasts on all the time, loads of courses. All these things are part of it. Nice. Nice. Um, I want to ask you a bit of a personal question. Don't answer if you don't want to. Um, uh, nine inches, mate. <laughs> circumference. Me? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got two beautiful daughters. They're, they're 14 and 16 now, so they're a little bit older. Um, but with mum and dad both being kickboxers, it has kind of affected their life growing up a little bit because they've always had, oh, your mum and dad are kickboxers, can't get in trouble, can't have a boyfriend and all that kind of thing. Um, 
has your your yourself affected your children at all in any way? Well, I think as a parent, we definitely affect our children because you know we're trying to instill values upon them, which is projecting onto them, and who we are is going to be the most impressionable thing to them maybe other than school so we all affect our children and you've got you know if let's say you're in a traditional husband and wife scenario or your partner well your partner's values and your values are very different and then your kids values are their own and they're trying to grow up their own to be themselves and then the father or the father figure is influencing with their values and then the mother influencing with their values and therefore you create quite a lot of conflict and tension and struggle but therefore ultimately growth but that but your child is an individual you know i think where you were leading to which hasn't really happened is you know a bit like if someone's a professional golfer and that can put a lot of pressure on the kid well not really no because um my kids they're not majorly exposed to my world. A lot of it is just me doing videos. Yeah. They kind of know that, you know, I've, I've written books and done podcasts and, you know, and I, and I guess I help or you to use this word I don't really like saying of myself, but influencer. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, you know, I did for a, a little while, I was quite pu- pushing with my son for golf because I felt like I was giving him a real gift. And I mean, he was at one point so good, like probably... He was definitely in the top five, three, maybe even the best five-year-old golfer in the world. There's no doubt. I was tracking it all the way. Yeah. Um, and um, But in the end, it has to come from him. It can't come from me. And I have to be careful not to live my life vicariously through him, which people say is something so bad, but we're all, to a certain degree, living our life vicariously through our children. Like, I'm pretty sure most people who do martial arts want their children to do martial arts. Why? Well, definitely because they want to be safe and maybe people who did martial arts got bullied or they want to be streetwise and that sort of help. But you also, it's okay to admit that you're living your life a bit vicariously through them. You think, I wonder if they can be better than I was. I'd love them to be better than I was. That's okay, I think, as long as it's not extreme because I think we're all doing that. You know, let's say you're in a marriage and you've got a couple of single friends you love to hear all their stories of being single because you're not single and you can sort of live that vicariously through them. So people talk about that like it's o- ominous or wrong. It's not, but nothing's wrong as long as it's not extreme. I have an obsessive personality though, so I have to be careful when I get to those extremes. So I, if I'm honest with myself for a time there, I probably did push Bobby a bit too much, but then he was young and I wasn't, I, I didn't really know how to read him. And yeah. So, but then once I figured it out or I got told, then I backed off. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I am me and I am going to be me. That means pushy and sometimes impatient. And, you know, I drive myself. So I'm going to drive other people around me. And that's also good about me. So, so I, I'm trying my best to let my kids grow up and be them and not me. And I want to give them some gifts. I, I want them to be able to solve problems. I want them to be independent. Uh, I want them to get really good at something. And I'd, hope, I'd hoped it was golf, but we'll see what it will be. Um, my son's got other interests like drumming and football, and we'll see where that goes, and I'll give him every chance. Um, but I, I'm not raising two mini-me's. Yeah. Um, and the more I force them to be a mini-me, the more they're going to rebel and end up hating me. Um, and I don't want that. And I definitely embrace with let them be them. Yeah, nice.
you know, and if there's stuff I want them to be good at and I'm really feeling that need, well, why don't I go and sort myself out and get good myself? Yeah. So, um, but it's man, it's so hard raising kids. Yeah. Uh, I'd say writing a book and raising kids or writing books and raising kids are two of the hardest things you'll do in life. Uh, obviously other than really traumatic experiences. Um, and I, you know, we all beat ourselves up about things we could have done better. Um, and sometimes I think if I'd have not started Bobby so early and golf might have been different, could I have found a way where it came from me? But man, all these Facebook mem mem memories pop up. And me and him have got beautiful memories being on that golf course. We've had so much fun together. Yeah, we've clashed, but we've had so much fun. Um, and, you, you know, those skills he's got as a golfer, you can't take them away from him. Like, he, he hadn't played golf. He hadn't hit a ball for nearly four months because of the lockdown. Um, and he teed up on the first, took one practice swing, and with his driver, he drove the green. And... I could never do that. I was a single figure handicapper at one point and I could never do that. And I just thought, you know what, whatever happens, he's just got it. And he could yeah. just tune back into it, into that if he wants to, cause he's got it. And I gave that to him and that makes me feel very proud. And it makes me feel proud that I, I didn't let it too much be about me. I let it be about him. But you know, it's, it's hard, isn't it? To live your life very selflessly and with, complete empathy because we're also selfish beings and we want to meet our own needs and, and you know maybe balancing the selfish and the selfless you know maybe that's the balance we're looking for nice not the answer i was expecting but <laughs> very good nonetheless thank you um your your missus so I, obviously i do quite a bit of lives and facebook lives with certainly a lot more now with lockdown and stuff and every so often I'll, I'll be chatting away and she'll appear and I'm like oh look there's there's Chardin and she's like get the camera off do you ever get that because <laughs> we don't ever really see her so no um she absolutely hates being on the camera yeah. doesn't want to know doesn't want to be on social media doesn't want any limelight and um and I respect that yeah which is cool do you ever get the go Say hello. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, uh, I've never seen it. That's like, that's like putting your head in the mouth of an alligator and saying hello. Well, <laughs> I like to live on the edge. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I've, um, no. Um, in, in life, <sighs> this is a difficult one, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, and I think it's okay to admit this. But I think in life, many of us, most of us, maybe all of us, to a certain degree are trying to change people to who we want them to be rather than accepting them from who, for who they are. And I think great relationships flourish when you accept people for who they are rather than try to change them into who you want to be. And, you know, I have a great relationship with my business partner. And I went over his for dinner yesterday and we just caught up. And I can honestly say I don't try to change him. Yeah. If I, if I need to educate him on something or I need to make a point very clearly, I'm obviously going to fight my corner and put a good case forward. But in the early year, probably, I was probably unconsciously trying to get him to, you know, when people are trying to get you to their way of thinking, well, you're trying to change them. But people can never live up to your expectations. 
But as soon as you stop trying to change people and accept them for who they are, which isn't always easy. Yeah. I, I think your life is better. You have paradoxically more control because you let go of control and um, you are so much more happy and your relationships are so much more rich. But I, there's something about my personality that attracts people who um, put me up on a pedestal quite quickly and then try and drag me straight back off of it. Yeah. Um, and ultimately some initial flattery, which I'm a sucker for, by the way, just letting you know, I think you're watching this thing. I'm a sucker for flattery. I am. Give, give me a love. Um, give me a love. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> give me a kiss. Uh, but then, but then are ultimately trying to change who you are. Um, and yeah, look, I'm okay with that because that's what we all do. And I'm sure I've done it. Um, but, I think if you can get yourself around people who accept you for who you are, your failings as well, and your failures and your mistakes and your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities and will do their best not to judge you, I think that, that you need that in your life. And I've probably not had enough of those people in my life, if I'm honest. Um, but then in business, you need people who challenge you, uh, you know, and, and who will give you critical feedback and who've got the bravery and the courage to go, wait a minute, you need your neck winding in here or you're wrong about that or you need to look at this point of view. Um, so, yeah. Nice, yeah. Um, I always, always ask everyone that I question. Obviously, I'm always asking the questions. Have you got any questions for me? You might not have, but I always ask the people on chat. Do you want to ask why did you want, what? Why did you want to interview me? Um, a few reasons. Obviously, once we... I come up to the podcast course and then signed up to your podcast agency. Um, and I'm drawn to your personality quite a lot. So I just wanted to kind of have, have a chat, ask you questions, of course, push my boundaries. Cause, um, I mean, you know, you are at phenomenal po podcasting and the people you've podcasted and the level you've gone to, I wanted to, this is outside my comfort zone. I only started doing podcasts in March. So for me, this is outside my comfort zone. So one, I wanted just to chew the fat with you anyway, but I also wanted to really pressure and push myself. For me, this is pushing myself to, to have that interview where I'm going, oh my God, I'm chatting with Rob Moore. Mm -hmm. like, like, so putting you on that pedestal, although you don't mean to, but where, <laughs> when, you've got to, when you've spoke to, you know, uh, Wolf on Wall Street and uh, Prince Nassim and all the other people, what's Prince Nassim doing, wasn't it? Amicom. Amicom, Amicom. Do you know what I mean? So, again, all them sort of people, at that kind of level, I thought, well, I'm not going to get to that level yet, but, you know, I'd like mm. to chat to you and push the boundaries. So that was one of my main things, is just pushing that boundary. Great. Um, and, yeah, because you, I, one thing I find about you as well, you're very articulate, you're very good with words, and you're very good with sentences, and that's something that I'm trying to improve myself on. Um, so kind of listening and learning just only helps me grow. Mm. So yeah, that's why I wanted to interview you. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, so talking about podcasts, you, I mean, you've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Who was your favorite person that you've interviewed? I get asked that a lot and I don't have yeah. a favorite person. Okay, cool. And here's why. I don't want you to think I'm giving you a lame answer. Yeah. Um, and I'd say if I did, because I've intentionally interviewed a diverse range of people. 
So if I only interviewed business owners or if I only interviewed sports personalities, I'd probably have a favorite. Yeah. But um, I've interviewed a diverse range and I've found that some have been good for downloads, some have been good for reach, some have challenged my thinking, some have learned the most about my interviews, even though maybe I wasn't the most comfortable. Um, some I've connected with, some I've become really good friends with, like Jake Wood and Kev Clifton and Katie Piper and people like that. So I don't have a favorite, but what I am going to say is the person who was probably all, all around, probably the most compelling in terms of how he dealt with us, how charming he was, how articulate he was, how the quality of his content and everything else was Barry Hearn. He was um, pound for pound right up there. Nice. Barry Hearn. Um, is there anyone you look up to? Um, I look up to anyone who is struggling and not giving up. I look up to anyone who has got a lot of shit going on, but they still show up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, I've probably in 15 years canceled 10 appointments and I don't know how many thousand appointments I've had. Mm. Um, I, I don't cancel appointments. Um, something has to go majorly wrong for me to cancel an appointment. Um, and I respect that in others if they've got shit going on, but they'll still turn up to that appointment. So showing up even when it's hard. Um, I really admire Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I, I really resonated in a lot of ways with um, Alexander McQueen, um, who unfortunately you know, committed suicide when he, when he was 40. Yeah. Uh, I, I, my ment one of my um, sort of mentors in many ways, I suppose, Dr. John Demartini. Um, but I, I think... I listened to um, a, 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 um, a form of psychology which talks about horizontal rather than vertical relationships. Okay. And horizontal relationships are hierarchical relationships, i.e. I look up to you, I look down to you, I subordinate to you, you know, I lead you, uh, I, I am your employee, I am your boss. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I am your parent, I am your child. And I think a lot of us are looking for that superiority or we're looking for that authority or that power or that leadership position because it feels good. Yeah. And it, and it makes us feel valuable. There's nothing wrong with that. Now there are sometimes some more nefarious or narcissistic reasons that we seek vertical relationships, but on the whole, we're just all looking to, to feel good and feel valuable and have self-worth. And, and if you lead people and you are above people in a hierarchy, that, that gives you that. But this form of psychology talks about um, not believing in vertical relationships, but be, be believing in horizontal relationships, i.e. we're all interdependent. No one is better or worse. We're all equal beings, but with different roles. We're equal beings with different roles. And that's how, for the last few years, I've tried to view people. Now, occasionally, I'll pedestalize people. And occasionally I will overpower people, but I try to work on not doing that as much as I can and trying to realize we're all beings. Um, and you know, we're, we're not superior or inferior. We all just have different roles. And I think that's healthy. I think that's great for relationships. I think that gets rid of a lot of passive aggression or, um, you know, really toxic relationships. 
Um, and so that's what I'm aspiring to continue to work on with my relationships, make them horizontal, not vertical. Um, so in that regard, I don't really want to start naming names, even yeah. though I did name three because you asked, but I yeah. thought it was important to talk about. Well, it, that makes perfect sense. I've never heard that before, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So yeah. Um, something I've learned today. There you go. <laughs> um, do you feel, do you ever get any pressure? So when you're podcasting, do you ever get, do you pressurize yourself thinking, well, I've got to interview this person. Do you, do you ever put pressure on yourself? Do you feel the pressure if you are, uh, with, again, we're talking about on horizontal, we don't pedalize people, pedestalize people, but do you ever have pressure thinking, cool, this is going to be a good one, or I need to get it right? Yeah, I probably do put pressure on myself. I think all pressure is pressure on yourself because it's your perception of a situation. Um, and if you want to be a victim, you say, oh, I feel pressure because someone else is doing something to me or some external situation, or rather, you know, you want to be at cause, if you want to be powerful or at effect or in control and take responsibility, you go, oh, okay, well, I'm creating this, I'm manifesting this. That being said, if I've got someone who I have really pedestalized or someone who's got a very big brand or reputation, I do feel some butterflies, yeah. Um, and I think that that's healthy and that's okay. And there, there's definitely a big part of me that has a need to be liked, which I'm working on getting the right balance of. I think it's really good in some ways because you deliver good service, you care about people, um, you know, you want to fix problems, you don't you go around, you know, creating chaos in relationships all the time um, and having fights and arguments. But at the same time, if you have too strong a need to be liked, then you can become passive aggressive. You avoid conflicts, which creates more conflict down the line. And I'm just feeling my way. I've been feeling my way to get that balance for probably oh, 28 years because I naturally avoid conflict and I naturally need people to like me too much to the extreme sometimes. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, oh, where should we go now? So I want to just talk about your books very quickly. Um, did you say 15, 16? Yeah, uh, 15 I think I've written yeah. or co-written and Opportunity comes out in January. That's official now, my new book. Uh, and I'm writing one, two, three at the moment. Wow. One is almost done. Um, it's called Reinventing Yourself that I've written with Gerald Ratner. Um, yeah, so I guess my bestseller, Pound for Pound was money. Yeah. My bestseller in total was Life Leverage, but that's a slightly older book, so it's had more chance to sell more copies. Um, Which yeah. one's your most favourite? Mm, well, they're all different, and I like the fact that they're all different. Yeah. So money, life leverage, start now, get perfect later, routine equals results, unworth more, opportunity, they're all different. So yeah. you can't compare them, even, uh, even though the subjects are different, but I try and write them conceptually different as well. Yeah. So routine equals results, really short, practical book on compartmentalizing your diary. Money, a massive deep dive study of all things money. Um, start now, get perfect later, which is about getting shit done. One chapter per page because you don't want to read a 58 page chapter to, to work out how to get something done. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I tried to make them all conceptually different. Nice. Bit like cars. Yeah. They're all different. They're good for different reasons. Yeah. Nice. Um, I've read a couple trying to get through them. So <laughs> learning, learning, learning. Um, I want to talk about martial arts. You talk about martial arts quite a bit. You talk about obviously becoming black belts and these pieces. I know you've done a bit. So there's a gym in your garden. You've got like heavy tire battle ropes. What's, what's your favorite gym 
So if you go for a gym workout, do you want to do like a HIIT workout, a cardio session, punch a bag? Where do my you go favorite there? thing is to do chin-ups or dips on the rings. Yeah. I'd say they're my favorites. Um, I, look, I'm no um, Greek statue and I'm no David Goggins. Um, <laughs> no, compared, <laughs> my squatting is like terrible. <laughs> I could hardly do the bar. But um, at times I've been able to do pretty good chins. Yeah. Um, like maybe my best is maybe 25 wide arm nice. um and um i was dipping maybe eight reps with 40 kilos on a um a weights belt yeah um on on some rings on you know olympic rings yeah um so uh, it helps not having skinny legs it helps having skinny legs to do chin <laughs> yeah. but um so i'd say they're my favorite probably because you know i'm, I'm kind of okay at those but any any mega heavy lifting, I'm not I'm not I'm not a heavy lifter at all. I mean that's obvious. So, um, but I like a variety. Um, yeah, and sometimes I'll go. I've got a gym in the basement. I've got a gym in the garden, and I'm a member of a gym. Obviously, that's not open at the moment. So when I'm sort of done two or three months, and I can feel myself getting a bit stale, I'll go do something else. So I'll yeah, go to the gym for two or three months, get a bit stale. I'll do home workouts for two or three months, get a bit stale. Try and keep it fresh and interesting. Nice. Do you hit the bag much? Um, not recently. I'm going to, um, I, I'd made that decision a little while ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had, I, I kind of did have a black belt, but I was really given it rather than earning it. But in earning it, I had two brown belts in two different arts. So, yeah. Um, what was that? Yeah. Sorry. What did you get them in? Um, well, actually, Chinese kickboxing, nice. standard stroke, just standard kickboxing. Yeah. Um, I had a couple of fights, um, not professional. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I'm not an aggressive person. I just love the, I love the sport of it. Oh, and I loved how fit it gets you. Yeah. Sparring and rowing of everything I've ever done are the two things that get you gassed the most. Yeah. Um, sp nothing like sparring. Especially oh, yeah. when you're getting pummeled, you know, like <laughs> you just want to give oh, up yeah. and turn, and you so you push yourself so much through your own comfort zones. Yeah, we well, have to go so much further, don't you? Yeah, you do. You've got no choice, and you're in, you know, fight mode of defending yourself as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I do miss it. I'm thinking of starting Wing Chun. I did a bit of Wing Chun in my Chinese kickboxing for about two years, and the good thing about that is, you're 70, you're 80, you're 90, and you can still do Wing Chun. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking, if I start at 40, I might be, you know, grandmaster by seven. <laughs> um, it's a bit of a softer art, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I actually got a dash, if you're all right. So do yeah, you want no, to... No, yeah, that's uh, fine. Um, yeah, because yeah, I was just, we've just come up to you. Um, so we'll end it there. I just want to say, again, thank you, Rob Moore, for your time. Um, My pleasure. Honesty, uh, appreciate it. Um, this has been the Kickstarter Conference for myself, Carl Denny. Uh, and for Rob, it's a business, but for me, it's not just a sport, it's a wild life. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's chat, have any questions or feedback for us, or would like to be on one of our podcasts, leave a review and we will happily get back to you. If you would like more details on how Hastings Kickboxing Academy can help you or a family member, find all our contact details in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe to HKA's Kickstart Your Confidence podcast. And remember, it's not just a sport, it's a way of life. Thank you.